14. Hello and welcome to episode 262 of 40 going on 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And this is how I imagine the production meeting for My Bloody Valentine went. A couple Canadians sitting around. I can't do a convincing American accent. How about you? Me neither. Let's make a movie about mining. Hey. <laughs> oh, shut up, you hoser. Yeah, don't yeah put, pretty much. Don't put your nose in it. The hell does that mean? A lot of confusing phraseology in this movie. But we'll get to that. We will. In case you're wondering what we're talking about, so are we. Uh, it is the My Bloody Valentine show. We're doing the 1981 version versus the 2008 remake. And I will say, going into this, I had absolutely no idea how much of mining culture this movie was about. I didn't. I had no idea I was getting immersed in mining culture. It's almost well, like you remove a, that, and that's like literally the only thing of value. But I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like a uh, National Geographic special with murder. Yeah, we'll go with that. If you like National Geographic specials, you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such, such as, as On the Block, Minton Boxcast. <laughs> And, of course, the Rad Dead Radio Hour. Did I cover it up again? Uh, no, I I, uh, I thought we put new shows in, and I was looking for the midstream and realized this is an old list again. Oh, no, well, we're looking <laughs> also with Mom and the New Dad and Talk Music to Me. There we go. Yeah. I was like, okay, crap, which of these aren't canceled besides Rad Dead, which we're plugging every week anyway? And <laughs> We're going to make that show number one. And Patrick's favorite show, I Can't Stop Pooping. <laughs> so, That's reality. It's reality. It's a reality, pop, reality live podcast. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's terrible. We're never going to do that show. Joel might, though. We're not? Starring Joel. I've been promised things. Yes, you have. <laughs> one would think you'd be used to disappointment at this point in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it. So uh, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talk Shoes, Talk Shoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. You can find us all there, and you can also find us on Podchaser.com. Ooh, yes, and iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio, yeah. If you'd like to give us a call, it's 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. And we have a voicemail. We do have a voicemail. Listener Luke. Yeah, the voicemail we said we were going to do because we forgot it last week. Yes, so Luke, here we go. Hey, 40 Go 14, this is Luke. Uh, first off, I was going to say good job on the Jack Ryan show. Um, the only trouble is that whenever I watched uh, the new one, I just kept hearing uh, uh, James Earl Jones' Admiral Greer in the back of my head go on. I said, speak your mind, Jack, but Jesus. It was like my <laughs> favorite line out of all of those movies. Uh, also, I wasn't paying attention and kind of forgot it was October, so I'm glad there was the blurb about Octobu and uh, Prom Night versus Prom Night, because I saw in my in my uh, you know, podcast app, it just showed up like proms. I was like, okay, it could be like, a, and I misinterpreted it, it could be like proms then, but it was like, then proms now would be like super creepy, especially for Patrick, and I didn't want to know what that was going down, but I'm glad that makes more uh, makes much more sense. The hearts to the front, Ooh. and that's not Mr. No-No's, was that Soul Ghost? Yeah, then who is that? Yeah, <laughs> Nobody we Pretty know. Pretty sure it was Soul Ghost. <laughs> Butts to the front. That would be a weird... I mean, I, I don't know. That would. We'd have to wait a few years before we do a prom show. Because, Joel, have your kids even gone to prom? No. I don't know if that'll be a thing anyway, but no. They have... Home- I still go to proms. Yeah, but you no, get I mean. escorted out. Well, <laughs> yeah, got- they don't know that I'm there, but I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have homeschool proms in some, like, where there's a larger concentration of them. 
I know oh, my, I was gonna. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was talking about, you weirdo. I, for some reason, I imagine Pat trying to pass off as a cast member from Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> no, I know my uh, Hans Molman. My brother-in-law homeschools his kids, and they have this like a huge group of homeschoolers down where he lives, and they had a prom, and apparently the prom they had a prom king and queen. They had so many kids. They came out, faced each other, and then they started playing the um, lightsaber battle music from one of the prequels. And they had like a whole orchestrated lightsaber battle. So we're nerds. We're just realizing this? No, I'm just making a statement again. So, Any other listener feedback? No, not so much. I mean, we got our standard cease and desist messages, but I mean, there's that. But (laughs) Goes with the territory. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, cool. So, Josh, you think it's about that time? Oh, absolutely. This week in music, movies, and TV. All right, we are going with... That was such a sad little sports, Joel. (laughs) And sports. And sports. Do you want to try again? No? Yeah? Yeah. Nah. All right, so uh, eleven. <laughs> it's commensurate effort with the quality of the movie we did this week. So. Yeah, it's pretty much spoiler. Eleventh of February, nineteen eighty-one was the first My Bloody Valentine. Music. The top songs in the land were number three, "I Love a Rainy Night" by Eddie Rabbit. Number two by, <laughs> damn it, was nine to five by Dolly Parton, and the number one was "Celebration" by Cool and the Gang. And weddings were never the same. That's a good, good triumvirate of songs yeah celebrations all right i like the other two it's nine to five for its kitsch and uh anyway. and i think i think you know i love a rainy night it's just a genuinely good song yeah nine to five had a decent dabney coleman vehicle that uh, came along with it i did um nine to five as uh feels like the first line for the uh, trivia event that i ran not too long ago and you would not believe how many people got stumped by it just for the opening the first opening verse just of that sad. one What's that? I said that's just sad. Well, I mean, the, not, not the saddest part about it was is only one team got it. Oh. And that was the team with my mother-in-law on it, because she mm. apparently loves this song. I did not know that. So she was all excited. She knew I mean, an answer. It's such a great line, pour myself a cup of ambition. Yeah, I mean, and you... I would think now, with it being featured in Deadpool, I think Deadpool 2, more people would get it. You would yeah, think. It's a good call. On February 12th, Rush released the highly regarded album Moving Pictures, which eventually becomes the band's sixth platinum album. It's a lot of Canadia in this episode. Canadia! Yes. Fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Canadia! <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> on February 10th, the Reverend James Owen Sullivan, American musician of Avenged Sevenfold, was born in Huntington Beach, California. I like Avenged Sevenfold. Never been a fan. No. I don't even really think I know about like two songs of theirs, so I can't really comment on them. If it wasn't for Guitar Hero, I probably wouldn't know who they were. But they're 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 good for specific moments. If you want loud, aggressive, get the stress out music, they're there for you. Well, and that's the thing is, I would put them on the progressive metal side of the like thrash screamo versus progressive metal divide that you've got in modern metal, and that's kind of where I fall in terms of my music tastes when it comes to heavy metal. Yeah. I kind of like Five Finger Death Punch. Me too. And finally, born on February 11th, 1981, Calendria Trinae Rowland is an American singer, songwriter, actress, and television personality. Rowland rose to fame in the late 1990s as a member of Destiny's Child, 
one of the world's best-selling girl groups of all time. She later started to dip her toes into acting with Freddy vs. Jason and has most recently been seen on the television series Empire. Not to be confused with the Queen. Yeah, I don't think people would do that. Yeah, that's not something. (laughs) Unless you think Steve Buscemi's in Queensryche. Oh, wait. Is he on Empire? I don't think he's in Empire. No. Oh, I'm thinking Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire. Oh, okay, there you go. Empire's totally different. Yeah. And they they shoot Empire out uh, by the... um, by the Opera House downtown, downtown hmm. Chicago. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was the acronym of the week, <gasps> T-I-S-W, which I'm pretty sure is tits in Star Wars. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> did I miss something? Nobody wears underwear in space. Thank you, George. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I was just trying no, to get... No, that is... Sorry, she go was, ahead. She was, she, was so, she was so cold. I didn't want her to get a call on it, so... Oh, there's no underwear in space. <laughs> that sounds like the South Park version of George Lucas. That's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> All right, good job then. But no, that was actually the Incredible Shrinking Woman. <gasps> oh, oh, that's one with the gorilla. Another Lily Tomlin joint. All right, yeah. born February 9th, 1981. Thomas Whittle. 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 <laughs> Let's start that over. Tom. Little boy. Born. February 9th, 1981, Thomas William Hiddleston. Kenyan Cricket Wikikeeper. <laughs> Kenyan Cricket Wikikeeper. Callback. He's an English oh actor. Oh, my God. You almost got me. Film producer and musician. At the beginning of his career, he appeared mainly in stage productions. He wore... He wore? He won the Laurence <laughs> Olivier Award for Best Newcomer in a Play for his role in Cymbeline and was also nominated for the same award for his role as Cassio in Othello. He came to wider public attention when cast as Loki in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mangled that so badly, but at least I didn't say award for best necromancer in a play, which I very <laughs> nearly said. Oh. And I don't think any of the three of us would have been like, oh, okay, I didn't know. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> February 17th was the birth of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, star of TV and movies since he was a small child. He's, I'm sure we all are familiar with him. Yes, and a fan. Yes. My favorite Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, performance has got to be his lip-sync battle where he does uh, Janet Jackson. Yes. That, that was pretty damn good. Amazing. He nailed the dance on that one. So He's very talented. Oh, yeah. And funny, too. Yes. I like him. He's, he's in my uh, list wheelhouse. of favorites. Yeah, definitely my wheelhouse, yeah. Okay, there are probably a few words missing from this sentence, but... Mike did the tweet this week, so blame him. No, I didn't do movies. Joel did movies. I did this particular one. We shared everything, but I did this one. Okay. Well, I'm not sure who we're talking about, because Joel left it out. So I'm just going to say, born Jean Jacques in Waterbury, Connecticut on July 14th, 1896. Period. It's Jean Dixon is the name of the actress. So sorry. Oh, Jean Dixon. But her her original name was Jean Jacques. Okay, so we're talking about Jean Dixon. Correct. <laughs> During her early days, Dixon was educated in France. While there, she studied dramatics under Sarah Bernhardt. She made her Broadway stage debut in 1926 in a comedy melodrama called Wooden Kimono and continued to perform there even after she retired from films. Dixon made her screen debut in 1929 in The Lady Lies and appeared in 11 other films, including My Man Godfrey, before her final film, Holiday, in 1938, which starred Edward Everett Horton, 
Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn. On February 12, 1981, she made her final curtain call as she died at age 84. Absorbed. She suffered a cardiac arrest, and her final words were, I knew this would happen. (laughs) Really? Really. How Pat's going to go. Yeah. Not the cardiac arrest. Yeah, unfortunately, I'll probably also be 84. You'll have the good final last words, I have a feeling. It's just like the gypsy woman said. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, TV, top shows in the land, are very 1981 with Dallas, Dukes of Hazzard, 60 Minutes, and M.A.S.H. Do you know they had whoever, I forgot the name of the guy who produced the M.A.S.H. movie, but they came up with the words to Suicide is Painless, and they they told his uh, teenage son to write the lyrics. Oh, damn. Yeah, and that's how they came up with Suicide is Painless. So, so also, this February, comedian Andy Kaufman disrupts sketches and starts a brawl while broadcasting during ABC's sketch series Fridays, an occurrence that was later disclosed to have been entirely staged. That was the one with Michael Richards. Yeah. I won't lie. When I when Andy Kauf, the anniversary of Andy Kaufman's death came up, I had probably a 45% of my brain was going... He may show up. Yeah. Well, there's still people that believe he's, you know, it's, it's all a con. Yeah. But you know what? Honestly, I don't think, I think if he was still alive, I don't think he could pass up not showing up on the anniversary, the, what, the 30th anniversary of his death that he said he would. So. Right. True. Good point. So also, February 1981 was a fantastic month for television as the spinoff show to The Brady Bunch arrives, and it's The Brady Brides. It lasts 10 episodes, and then it is canceled. That's surprising it lasted that long, to be honest. Well, they didn't know any better. Everybody just saw where they were watching reruns of the Brady Bunch, and they couldn't figure out why they were all dressed funny. And older. So, yeah, there you go. TV! All right, and sports. Born October 14th, 1912, John Jack Frederick Krepp was an English cricketer who played first-class cricket for Gloucester between 1936 and 1956 and played for England on tour in the winter of 1948-49. Cricket writer Colin Bateman noted that Crap was a sound rather than spectacular batsman who scored 1,000 runs in all but one of his 15 seasons. That was 1954 when he struggled with a Gloucester captaincy. End quote. Crap went on to become an umpire for 22 seasons, including standing in four test matches. Jack Crap died on February 13, 1981, in Knoll, Bristol, at the age of 68. I couldn't resist. Jack and Jack Crap. <laughs> and it's cricket. Uh, Jack Crap was a Kenyan cricket wicketkeeper. He may have been. And then lastly, for some reason, there's just uh, Polish premier Joseph Pinkowski replaced by Wojciech Jaroluski. Did he get it right? He's close. Jaroluski. Jer- yeah, whatever. <laughs> deal- got to learn how to spell names, man. I couldn't know. It's I know a, he's right. That's what I'm saying. It's like that's, that is not at all what that spells. <laughs> there's all, the, the name is 13 letters long, and there's only two vowels. How do you do <laughs> Yeah. Why, where are you getting this sound from? <laughs> do you have a second tongue? What is that? Oh, wow. Hey, oh. Uh, hey, take us out, keyboard Joel, before we go down that alley. <laughs> Don't go down the alley with two-tongue Joel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this week for the final movie of Octoboo. No. <laughs> Octoboo? 
It's not Octoboo. Octoboo. You are not eight boos. It's a very scary uh, octopus. It's Boo. a kid's movie. Oh, Octoboo's on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the very last movie of Octoboo is My Bloody Valentine. Uh, it came out in 1981. And the synopsis I found on Amazon was, There's a big Valentine's Day party planned in the little mining town of Valentine's Bluff. It is the first Valentine's party in 20 years because there was an accident in the mine and the accident happened because the men responsible for the security were at the party. The sole surviving miner killed them and he told the town never arrange a Valentine party again. <laughs> the party begins uh, and, and so does they have to go and do. They had a party. <laughs> Tell That's the that. worst book report I've ever heard. <laughs> what? What's this about the Catsby? Well, he was great. <laughs> this is, I saw this, the first thing I thought is Ralphie from Simpsons trying to give a synopsis of this movie. And that's what. <laughs> Ralph, go stand in the corner. Yeah, this is literally, if you. And so does the killing. If you watch this on Amazon, this is literally the synopsis of the movie that they have on there, which is terrible. Um, so taglines, Harry's out to steal your heart. Cross oh. your heart and hope to die. Heart burn really i know <laughs> that's terrible this valentine's day romance is dead sarah be my bloody valentine is it yeah there actually is somebody named sarah i forgot their mm-hmm. names yeah the redheaded sarah it's such a cool movie you'll want to see it over and over again <laughs> that can't be real. sarah was a blonde the blonde yeah, I, yeah as soon as i said it i realized I was yeah she was a redhead in the remake okay there's more than one way to lose your heart and then valentine's day will never be the same again I can sort of see that one, but well, I mean, it's such a cool movie. You'll want to see it over and over again. That's a tagline. That's one of the taglines. Must have been after it was out, and that was like in the paper to get people to go. Maybe. Who knows? It's terrible. Um, so this is uh, produced, no, directed by George Michala, who's known for this something called Da Vinci's Inquest, something called La Florida. And faith, fraud, and minimum wage. So he's the been uh, busy. Oh, he did a bunch of episodes of, uh, well, two episodes of Lost Girl. So there's that. What? Lost Lost Girl. What's that? It's one of those horror soap opera type TV shows where she's a she woman discovers that she's actually a succubus. Yeah, I watched like two episodes and was just like, this is too corny. Yeah, it really is. Uh, writing credits. Succubus. <laughs> uh, writing credits um, go to Stephen A. Miller, who did the story concept and is known for producing such great things as Airwolf, Magnum P.I., and the lesser-known Nightman. Which one? Airwolf P.I. Airwolf P.I. That's not a thing. Simon and Simon, Airwolf, Archie, Bun- oh, well, Archie Bunker's place, but he, he's lots of TV. And then in 1998, they said, please stop doing TV. <laughs> and he so, was retired. Just, yeah. They put him up to stud. Yep. So the writer of this one, uh, John Beard, uh, he did such greats as My Bloody Valentine, Baker County, USA, North Beach, and Rawhide. And that's pretty much it. And they put him out the pasture as well. Yeah. They're like, you're done. Go hang out with Steven. Yep. I don't want to. So this stars a one Paul Kelman as Tom Jesse T.J. Herringer. Hanniger. Hanniger, sorry. Hanniger Pines. Shows you how much I paid attention to this movie. 
Uh, he has been in such movies as Caged Men plus <laughs> wait, <laughs> Caged yeah, Caged Men plus one woman. Yikes! The original snakes on a plane. Wait, Elliot is a sor- is a loser who robbed a bank and landed in jail after being set up by his girlfriend. As the new guy, Elliot is considered fresh meat and encounters inmates trying to make him their own at every turn. What the hell? <laughs> All right, then. All right, Paul. Sorry about your career. Um, <laughs> Lori Heller as Sarah Mercer. I mean, how do you pitch that to an actor? We want you to be in this movie, but you're going to be raped in every scene. Oh, my God. How much does it pay? No. <laughs> it's Neil <laughs> Affleck. Uh, never mind. Uh, uncle of Ben Affleck. I wondered. No. Oh. He's not. He might be. They uh, probably would have mentioned it, though, huh? They would have mentioned it. But unfortunately... Ready for this, though? He is actually an animator on The Simpsons and Family Guy. Really? Yeah. Huh. So he's, he's done animation on stuff like Rocco's Modern Life, The Critic, and... Uh, Something called Miss Spider's Sunny Patch Friends. So, that's just fun. That to sounds say. like something Lou Ann would be doing. <laughs> Cynthia Dale as Patty. So, Don Fra- Franks as Chief Jake Newby, who kind of, you know, here's the thing. Paul Kelman kind of reminded me of uh, what's his name from uh, The Office. I said it in the chat earlier. Who plays the guy who's always like the real uptight guy with the yellow shirt? Dwight. Right. Dwight. Who plays Dwight? Rain Wilson. Uh, Rain Wilson. Yeah, he, yeah. Paul Kevin kind of looked like a cheap Canadian version of Rain Wilson, <laughs> and then Don Franks looks like the uh, one of the, the the pilot from Airplane. The blow up doll? No, not the blow up doll. You dipshit. That's the the guy with the white hair. Oh, Leslie Nielsen. No, no, no. The pilot. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Well, my point is, like everybody in this movie, I'm not going any further. Peter Graves. Yeah, Peter Graves. Yeah, he's kind of like he's kind of like a, a cheap Canadian version of Peter Graves. Everybody in this movie was like a cheap Canadian version of a B or C list actor from the United States. Now, even even the guy that had Dwayne the Chalk Johnson. <laughs> that joke was for you, Joel. I'm glad you laughed at it. <laughs> more snickering than anything, but it's funny nonetheless. So, uh, but I do want to talk about one character that I think Hollis. is all close to our heart is Hollis, who's played by Keith Knight, who went on to be in such great movies such as Gas, Class of 1984, which was a trauma flick, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, the Care Bears Adventure in Wonderland. <laughs> He's, and Just like Slick, this was another version of Josh that actually had sex. <laughs> oh, Hollis? Yeah. You're, you're thinking Class of Newcomb High. Class of 1984 was not trauma. Oh, okay. Well, he basically went on after this to do a ton of voices. So he did voices for the Beetlejuice t- uh, am- animation. Uh, he did voices in the Neverending Story. He did voices in Redwall. So his he made his entire career after this of not being seen, including doing the voice of Frank in Miss Spider's Sunny Patch Friends. <laughs> oh, that all ties together, eh? I know. So, uh, he was kind of the uh, the slick of this film. I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't quite as endearing as slick was he's like slick's canadian cousin yeah i still maintain it is uh out of time oh i just blanked on his freaking name uh Haley joel osman 
yeah, out of time, Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> and you showed the, you posted the picture next to each other, and I really do think Haley Joel Osment is a time traveler now. Along with Keanu Reeves, Nick Cage, yep, Leslie Nielsen, Leslie Uggams. <laughs> so, and Paris Hilton. All right then. Uh, so, but at the very end, Peter Cowper as Harry Warden slash the Miner. Um, so trivia. In an interview with Terror Trap, director George McCullough said that the shooting location at Sydney Mines in Nova Scotia was chosen because of its rustic atmospheric appearance. However, when the locals found out that a movie was going to be shot there, they decided to spend $50,000 to have the mine painted and cleaned. <laughs> this, of course, totally blew out the reason that he wanted to do, there, do that there in the first place. So they wound up spending $75,000 of the film's budget and then... To return the mind to its original state. Yikes. That is such a waste of money on both parts. Well, how much you want to bet that the line about all the lime being painted on the walls was because they had painted the mine? Oh, I, I could see that. Yeah, they. Pro- I, I, that was my bet. After I, I, I read this before I watched the movie, and when they came up, I'm like, they probably were like, well, shit, they painted this whole wing of the mine white. How are we going to explain that? So then they threw that in there. I wonder uh, if that's a thing, though, the limestone. I mean, I don't know. I can see it being an actual mining thing. I'm curious about it, but not curious enough to yeah, actually look, look it up. It up yeah. yeah. So I'm, I don't know enough about mines to make it true. So uh, the film what was shot. Uh, mine Man. Some miner. I'll get my aunt in here. She's only 10. 10. Oh, damn it. I fucked the joke up. <laughs> Your aunt is only 10? Yeah, but this is my niece. <laughs> Leslie Uggams. Jesus Christ. I heard she won for best necromancer. <laughs> <laughs> Kenyan cricket wiki keeper. That crap. All right. So the film was shot in authentic mines, which are often as much as 900 feet underground. Only certain lighting devices could be used in the mines because of the potential danger of methane explosions. From Hollis. <laughs> yes. Um, so producers Andre Link and John Dunning said the film's origin came about when they sought to find a holiday in which a slasher film had not been set on during the slasher flick boom of the early 80s, which probably in, it probably was just those two getting stoned going, But well, we can't do Arbor Day. What about what about April Fool's Day? No, they did that one. Friday the 13th? You said that three times, man. You know, it's... Um, they settled on Valentine's Day, and in order to keep the idea from being copied, they made the film's working title... The Secret, though they had the release title in mind the whole time. I would hope so. <laughs> Clever. Right? Yeah, because someone's going to be, someone would get on set, see that, and be like, I ain't copying this shit. Um, the, <laughs> the Folk Ballad, <laughs> which yeah, I... That's what you want to call it. Well, I think this... Okay, you weren't here for this discussion, Pat, when we were getting ready, but our our I, our thought is that the Folk Ballad that's played over the ending credits is the best thing of the entire movie. Yes, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Oh, completely. Uh, it was added by composer Paul Zaza uh, as an afterthought. The uncredited singer who does the vocal for the ballad was Scottish-Canadian tenor John McDermott. Hmm. It's a Canadian yeah. version of John Denver. Right, yeah, definitely had shades of Gordon Lightfoot meets John Denver. Oh, God, he's part of the Irish tenors. Yep. Wow. wow. Well, of course he is. Literally the most famous person involved with this movie. <laughs> Good God. He's... It's probably just a complete fluke that he was even available and able to be used. He is got he's like oh my he's God, he's like a real thing. Yep. Wow. It's, it's like the Blazing Saddles theme song sung by the real guy. Same. Yeah. You know, he did it with all his heart. Why? Because that's what he does. Now 
We have talked about Paul Zaza before. The name sounds familiar, but I don't know why. Because he has done music from for all the B movies that you've ever wanted to watch, Joel. So I'm going to toss them out here. Prom Night. <laughs> hey, we just did that. Exactly. Porky's. Hey, we've seen that. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom Night 2. The Brain. Something called Norman's Awesome Experience. <laughs> and then, who can forget, 1990s Flesh Gordon meets the Cosmic Cheerleaders. Oh my, there was a sequel? There apparently was a sequel, man. Uh, and then also the Baby Geniuses 2. No, ba- no, just Baby Geniuses. Wow. Well, that's a little... No, it's not. I don't know. Speaking of a prom night, uh, when you guys were talking about Keith Knight, I don't know if you guys noticed that the, uh, Keith Knight was also a Littlest Hobo alumni. Oh, he was. Mm-hmm. He totally oh, was. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only thing he did before the Littlest Hobo was his uh, minor role in Meatballs, which is actually probably what he's best known for. Oh, what was he? Yeah. In, what was he? He was Fink. Oh, really? Yeah. Fink beats the stomach. Yep. That that is Hollis. That's Same guy. Fantastic. Oh, wow. That's neat. Hollis, you just got cooler. I don't know. I, I, between Hollis and Slick, I don't know. They need to do a movie together. Oh. Well, they did a TV show together. Literally. They were in the same episode of The Littlest Hobo. That's fantastic. All right. So also... That's the nexus of the universe. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting that you guys had said that Slick and Hollis needed to do something together, and then I realized they actually did. They might not have appeared on screen at the same time, but they were in the same episode of the same Canadian TV show. Do they That's need awesome. a sassy robot? Oh, Jesus. No, nobody, nobody needs a sassy. Needs uh, <laughs> and the final bit of uh, trivia here is really confusing to me. Quentin Tarantino has named My Bloody Valentine as his all-time favorite slasher film. In related news, Quentin Tarantino has only ever seen one slasher film. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is this a first Uh, viewing for any of us? Me, yes. First and last. Yes. Yes. Read. Oh, I've seen this a few times, actually. You saw this more than once. Yeah. On purpose? Uh Uh-huh. Huh. Huh. This was probably, well, seems to be a trifecta this week. Uh, normally I'll say I'll watch anything twice, but because of the show, this would be probably my third viewing now that I think about it. So I wasn't entirely sure. I, I watched these in the wrong order. Why do you guys do that? Because I was only able to get a hold of the original one first. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 So I watched okay. the, I, wa- I mean, I watched the, uh, the remake first. I'm sorry. And okay. it's a little bit of spoilers. I was like, after the remake, I'm like, yeah, I could see why they would remake this, you know? I got re- there's reasons, and then I watched the original. And you're like, why do they remake this? Why do they make this? It's yes. not as bad as you guys make it out to be. It's Give- not as good as uh, anything bad I've seen before. It's definitely not worthy of the best slasher movie of all time. It's not the worst thing I've seen for this podcast, but it's in the bottom three. Yeah, it's definitely in the the bottom ten percent of things that we have had to watch for this. Wow, the murder. The thing is, is the, you didn't have a whole lot of quality kills. The killer was uninteresting. All of the characters were uninteresting. The side plots were uninteresting and for the most plot unne- point unnecessary. The only thing that was remotely interesting was rural mining town life and society. <laughs> like this could have been a documentary about miners getting drunk. And I would have. 
I would have been okay with that. Yeah, it would have been much better served, that's for sure. Yeah, could have been an entire story about vaguely homosexual mining showers. <laughs> I like the, the character design for, for Harry. I thought it was a cool concept. It looked cool. Yeah, but he's, I mean, he's, he's a miner. He's just a dude with a gas mask on. And that's the thing is, yeah, he looks kind of neat, but he's probably the least neat looking creepy character with a gas mask I've ever seen. Yes. Example. Any, uh, any character and, in any of the um, Wolfenstein And games. the uh, kids that said, are you my mummy and Doctor Who? More mm. creepy. Totally. The gas mask guys in heavy metal. More creepy. The yep. guys from uh, Genetic Opera. Yeah, absolutely. I, almost every single time that the gas mask is used for uh, unsettling effect, it's used more effectively than it was in this film. Hmm. That's all you say? <laughs> he killed the guy by putting his head in a thing of, of hot dogs. <laughs> it's a hot dog water. Yeah, but, I mean, maybe he drowned them, but hot dog water doesn't do that to your face. <laughs> Have you ever put your face in boiling hot hot dog water? <laughs> Don't judge my lifestyle choices, bitch. Um, <laughs> like if the water's that hot, those hot dogs are going to be disintegrated. Are you giving me a choice between doing that and watching this film again? Because I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> what about the? I mean, the the scene in the the um the uh, dryer. Is, that is such bullshit. Well, but it looks cool when she her head pops out and it's yeah, all. Yeah, but I mean, okay, I ha- there is no burn your flesh off setting in a dryer. Not anymore. They had to get rid of it. Ever, after ever the, since this movie. After this movie, like, whoa, I didn't realize dryers were that lethal. Set your dryer to, to 450 degrees. <laughs> that's I, will, I will give them credit for the staging of exactly one scene, and that's when the uh, mining costume uniforms are coming down on the hooks, and they're kind of dropping around the one chick. Yeah, that was that was frightening. But what about where he's bat- knocking out the lights? That- Why are they hung up like that, the mining suits? I guess for some sort of... Like, we could have used that... As some explanation, but probably so they could be decontaminated and just kind of drip dry in there. Yeah, maybe so. I like where he's knocking out the lights one by one. I thought that was really cool. What a fact. It was. Yeah. And scary. But it doesn't make up for, you know, everything else. It wasn't that cool. It's it, it's cut and paste very much. It's a very much a standard by the book slasher film. But the setting that it takes place in the, the the character design and kind of the unique kills make it something different than what I mean. It, it I, to me it's better than prom night. I will give you I will give you that that the setting is what saves this movie from not being one of the worst. I mean, like in the bottom three of movies that we have watched for this. And personally, I found at least the bad disco setting made prom night somewhat interesting. And while the characters were fairly flat in that. They seemed like characters out of a novel as compared to almost everyone from uh, from this. Like, I couldn't tell you anything about any of the characters except Hollis had a mustache and there was a love triangle between TJ, Axel, and Sarah. And I couldn't give a shit who Sarah ended up with. Right. Right. One of the things I, I've never quite really understood was the, the ending. I mean, I got what they, for, what they did, and both of the films were boot fucking for sequels, but... When he's trapped and then he, she's got his hand and he cuts it off. Yeah. And makes a run down the mine. Why couldn't they find him at the other end of the mine shaft? Because it had to let out somewhere. And the, for the same reason. Follow that, the blood trail. Right. 
for the same reason that the, the sheriff calls the lunatic asylum and says, hey, there's a guy we stuck in there 20 years ago for killing and eating five people. Do you know, can you just go check his room and make sure he's there? And the woman goes, I don't know. He could have died. Has- he could have wandered off. Who knows where the hell he is? I can't stand up and go check on that. This yeah, is that- like a high security facility or anything does not happen with multiple murderers yeah sorry you don't just lose those i'll have to get back to you in a couple days and then when she finally does get back to him he radios in to the to the uh sheriff and says oh so and so called from the lunatic asylum you better come back here and take the call so he is literally outside of the mine and able to walk out of his car and possibly stop people from being killed. He turns the car around to drive back to the police station to take this call versus his his deputy just saying, yeah, he's dead. Or just get, let, let me take a message. Right. right. Yeah. And I got the point in this film, and I guess spoilers in the next film, that you're supposed to care who's behind the mask, but I just couldn't be bothered. Like, it's obvious it's not Harry from the beginning, and you're supposed to be guessing, well, if it's not Harry, who is it? And I'm just like, I don't give a shit. Right? I just hope he kills everybody and then himself. Oh, that would have been a twist. Well, what did what did Sarah say in the chat, Josh? I, I'm just waiting for everybody to die so I can get on with my life. Yeah, and I believe she also referred to these two films as more painful than childbirth. I, so the, the first time I saw this, I was, I did, admittedly was kind of, uh, the, the board's not the word, but I. Oh yeah, no, board is definitely the. Word. It's definitely one of the words. <laughs> and then the second time I saw it, I was like, it's still not great. I actually enjoyed it more this time than I did the other two times I watched it. I think just because it's just see, kind Joel, of. See, Josh, all you gotta do is watch it two more times. It's just kind of cheesy, fun '80s slasher movie you put on with your friends and just kind of laugh and enjoy. Wait, is this the Malort of movies? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe it is. If I you can be bothered to go through it three times, you might kind of like it. And oh, the third go. sip, everybody loves it. That's terrible. No, Joel, see, that's where you're wrong. Is because Friday... Show 320, we're going to be doing My Bloody Valentine. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's not... This isn't even cheesy good. This is... I mean, like the guy who found his girlfriend... Okay, here, uh, you had a chance for a really good kill scene for the slasher flicks where he goes over, he grabs a girl by the head... And then turns towards the shower spigot. And then it cuts away. And later on, you just see the dummy head with the water spraying out of the mouth. I mean, compared- well, they probably couldn't come up with a practical effect, is what it really is in that one. Because, I mean, how are you going to have water spewing out of somebody's mouth without, you know, without using a completely prosthetic head? Well, then you get a prosthetic head. Well, apparently they didn't have the time or the money for that is what I'm saying. Yeah, thinking. because they spent all they spent all their friggin' money on fixing the mine back up. <laughs> Could you imagine what a great movie this would have been if they hadn't cleaned the mine? <laughs> they would have had seventy five thousand dollars more to do with this movie. I don't know, the version I saw seemed to have uh uh some of the, the like the special effects uh, they they were obviously cut back into the film. So I don't know if I saw like an unrated release of it i saw saw one what you're talking about too yeah there was a little they didn't completely cut away they showed some of the like shower head penetration face stuff but it wasn't very you know it was kind of a combination of both well because i remember the first times i'd seen it that i was like oh this is really not that graphic like they're for 80s fair like if you see the prowler which i always equate these two kind of in the same uh subgenre of that time um that one's really like borderline x-rated graphic 
because I think Savini did this the effects. But this one, I, I was like, they keep pulling away. And then the version I saw seemed to have a lot more, um, like it was a lot more graphic what I was expecting originally. So it was weird. Um, so I didn't know if you guys had seen that too. Yeah, I I saw that. I I just think it seemed like everything was f- either phoned in or super cheesy. You know what I mean? Super phoned in. Yeah, I mean like, and and the the guy who found his his girlfriend stuck to the shower head. I mean, y- you could have made uh, nachos with the amount of cheese that he was putting out for that scene. I mean, everybody was chewing up the scenery. Everybody was just like hands in the hair, freaking out. No words. Like bad eighth grade play acting. Like I said, cheesy fun. I again, I I totally disagree with Quentin Tarantino on this one, but <gasps> I still think it, and it's not anywhere close to being in my top hundred horror films of all time, or even two hundred. But it's it's fun enough that I would maybe consider it again at some point if I was in the mood. Okay. For some hot dog flavored water. Hot dog flavored water. Maybe some French pastries to go along with that. Chocolate no. starfish. Yeah. Yeah. The biscuit reference. Thank you for pointing that out, Joel. <laughs> biscuit, yet another thing that is lame, but is somehow better than this movie. <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah, do we want to talk any more about this? Any about the kills? Any about, uh, you know, the... I've only talked this much about this because we said we were going to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. I think it's time for a break. Uh, <laughs> we're going to break out, and then when we come back, we are going to talk about My Bloody Valentine 2009. Because somebody thought they could do this better ish. Todd Farmer. And they were right by default. (laughs) All right, we'll be back in a little bit. All right, we're back. 2009, someone came up with the great idea of remaking this, in quotes, classic slasher flick. Now, I think the reason this was considered a classic is because around this time, everybody was popping out movies that were based off holidays. So you had, um, God, what, what what else was there, Joel? There was... Uh, Armistice Day. Armistice Day. Yeah, there was... <laughs> Boxing Day. Boxing Day. Um, no, there was the, that wasn't either of them. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day. Mother's Day. Arbor Day. Arbor Day. Uh, not a movie, but there was Arbor Demon that just came out this year. Um, you're talking about in the 80s, though? Yeah, there uh, was like a whole... New Year's Evil, Black Christmas, which was the original slasher film before Friday the 13th. Yeah. Psycho. Yeah, Thanksgiving. That's much too late. Oh. Yeah. That's like... There was... Uh, there was uh, uh, good point, though, Pat. There was um, Blood Rage. That was a Thanksgiving-based mm. horror film that came out around this time. Patrick well, makes exactly a point. That's what I meant. No, you didn't. You didn't. You've never even seen Blood Rage. Oh, it's a, I got the movie poster. <laughs> it is actually a really good movie. Surprising. Yeah, coming from you. Hey. It's a sliding scale. That's all I'm saying. He can be right, but he's wrong a lot. True. Okay. Look it up online. So, uh, My Bloody Valentine 2009, Tom returns to his hometown on the 10th anniversary of the Valentine's Night Massacre, Massacre that claimed the lives of 22 people. Instead of a homecoming, Tom finds himself suspected of committing the murders, and it seems like his old flame is the only one that believes he's innocent. All right, so this is directed by Patrick Lucere, mm-hmm. who has edited <laughs> Scream and Drive Angry. 
He was a writer on Terminator Genesis and directed, he's done Drive Angry, Dracula 3 Legacy, straight to video. Uh, Dracula, oh, there you go, Dracula 2000. Did you guys, any of you guys see Drive Angry? No. I don't think I've gotten around to it, but it's on my list. It's Nicolas Cage. It's insane. It's a crazy movie. It's one of those that is a lot of fun, but he basically has a muscle car and he ends up eventually driving into hell. But uh, of course he does. Uh, it's it's fun. Is it? A, is but is it any Bangkok dangerous? I've never seen it actually, <laughs> the original or the remake. All right, so yeah, this is directed by that dude. Writing <laughs> credits: Todd Farmer, John Beard. Or I'm sorry, John Beard and Stephen Miller from the 1981. Todd Farmer is one of the now writers, mm-hmm. uh, known for probably my favorite of all the Jason movies. He wrote Jason X, and the only reason I like it is because this is the movie where he has the highest kill count of any of the movies, because he takes out an entire uh, space station. Hmm. Yeah, Jason's killed kills a lot of people. In- yeah, and and then the, there's the whole uh, dunk dunk the head in the liquid nitrogen scene too, which was pretty. Pretty fun. Well, at least it was creative. Yeah. Or the, or the actually not not to better divert, than hot dog water. And then better sure. than hot dog water. Not to divert from from what we're actually supposed to be talking about. But one of my favorite kills in in Jason X is they push him. They wind up getting him into like the hollow deck, and it's a camp scene where there's two co-eds in uh, bikinis that are just running running from him, bouncing around type of thing. And he winds, they, they cut back to the people trying to survive, and then they cut back to Jason, who has got one of the co-eds bundled up in a uh, sleeping bag, and he's using the sleeping bag to beat the other co-ed to death. Yeah, throwback to um, uh, part seven, where he kills the girl in the sleeping bag, which is most people's most favorite kill, but that was the nod to that original. Yeah, but I mean, it, this, the thing is, Jason X was like all tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, hmm. no, it's, it's definitely not to be taken seriously. Not at all. Uh, also, writer Zane Smith, who is such a high-ranking person on IMDb, he doesn't even have a photo. Known for My Bloody Valentine and My Bloody Valentine, The Making of. <laughs> so, good on you, Zane Smith. You've got one more IMDb credit than I do. Oh. True? All right. So, taglines. Nothing says date movie like a 3D ride to hell. What? It was it was, it was was released in 3D. Well, I know, but still, what? I know, right? Uh, you can't get closer than this. Well, you could, but you'd have to be in the film. True. Are you ready for your heart to be broken? He's going to do it. In a mine. All three of those taglines suck butt. Yeah. <laughs> suck butt. Suck butt. <laughs> Makes me think of the lady killers with the sack butt. <laughs> Joel with the obscure references. All right, so this stars Tom Henninger is Jensen Ackles. That's not a real name. Henninger? Jensen Ackles. <laughs> uh, if you may not know who this is, he's been playing Dean Winchester in Supernatural from 2005 to 2018. Yep. God damn. You know what, though? I said it before with these type of things. Good on him. He found his niche. And he's running with it. Yeah, he's he's milking that for as much as it's worth. And that's good, because it gives him money to do whatever he wants career-wise. Yeah. In fact, this is the uh, My Bloody Valentine was the same year that, uh, what's his name? Jason. Jason, uh, Jared Padalecki. 
Jared Padalecki. Yeah. yeah, Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles in 2008, both of them broke off and did remakes, and Jensen did this, and uh, Jared did uh, Friday the 13th, which we covered last year for Octo- Octoboo. Stop it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Jamie King is Sarah Palmer. You may remember her from White Chicks and Sin City. Yeah, she's been in a lot of stuff, but I always would go back to Sin City. Yeah, that's the one where everybody remembers her from. Uh, Kara Smith is Axel Palmer. Which uh, I believe he was in The Ruins. No, wait, no, that was the other guy from last week. Uh, Didn't Jamie King start off as a Maxim model? Yes. As a model. Yeah, I know she was in the video for Summertime Sadness, the Lana Del Rey song. Yeah. Uh, Kara Smith, known for being Jack Maffee in Dawson's Creek. Oh, he was on Charmed uh, as well. Yeah. Been a lot of TV, it looks like, as the world turns originally. Oof. Well, he's been in Joseph Bauer and all the uh, Ghost Rider episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was in a movie called What an Idiot. What? Oh, I thought you said Wood an Idiot. No, What an, what an Idiot. It was okay. the name of the movie. Uh, Betsy Rue is Irene. Uh, Betsy Rue is known for such things as Miss March and Halloween 2, 2009. Okay. Miss March, she played Strawberrious. Okay. So, moving on. Edie Gathigi. <laughs> I had to include that just for the name. Look at his name and tell me I'm saying that That's, wrong. No, Edie uh, Gathigi, I'm pretty sure is his, is uh, it might be Gathegi, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, X-Men First Class, Eddie he Gathegi. plays he plays Darwin, who is also known as Armando Munez. Uh, Kim, I recognized him from Gone Baby Gone. Okay, Gone Baby Gone and Twilight Saga. He played Laurent in New Moon. It's not a bad resume, actually. No, he's pro- outside of Jensen. He's probably got the best one so far. Uh, Tom Atkins is Burke. Thrill me. Oh, who doesn't love Tom Atkins, man? Nick Castle in The Fog. God, why haven't we done The Fog yet? It's on the list. we we'll have to wait another 12 months after this. Uh, Kevin Teague? Teig? Kevin Teig. T- Kevin Teig, yeah. This yeah. dude is in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Another 48 Hours, Roadhouse, Emergency. Uh, recently, he's in something coming up called Spirit Water. Leverage, he's been in the TV show. Um the 4400, he was in that. He's he's another one of those kind of um, ma- mayor of the town or... Racist uh, grandpa. Yeah, or uh, sheriff type thing. Yeah. Racist mayor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's... He, you, mayor if, you need, <laughs> if you need a white-haired, vaguely, like... He's, let's say you want someone who's like Gary Busey, but a grandpa and not quite as crazy, you go for <laughs> Kevin Tag. Someone who hides their crazy a little better. Yeah. See, I was thinking more of um, uh, who's the guy? Uh, I gotta look it up because I can't. Grandpa Bear. Oh, shut up. Yeah, I typically, if I was gonna associate Kevin Tide with one role, it was his run on Lost. Yeah, as a dad. He he's yeah. Kind of, yeah, Tony Cooper. The poor man's J.T. Walsh. Oh, oh. I can see that. Joel makes a point. Everybody drink. <laughs> yeah. Now also, you have to send ten irrelevant gifts. <laughs> I'm on it. Also, Megan Boone playing Megan. She's, oh, I loved Megan. Yeah, she's known for The Blacklist, Leave Me Like You Found Me, and My Bloody Valentine. And that's it. And having a tremendous ass. That's the other thing <laughs> she's known for. I wonder who she was on The Blacklist, because I watched the first two seasons of that. Uh, Elizabeth Keene. Oh, she's the lead. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the dumb one. <laughs> I, I totally did not recognize her. <clears throat> and then Todd Farmer. Wait a second. Is that the writer? Yes, it is. He played Frank the Trucker. 
Yep. He he likes to act in the movies he he writes. So he was in a Jason X as well, if you remember. That totally blows my mind that Megan, for being such a small part, was the lead in the blacklist. I, I I'm literally reeling. Was the blacklist before or after this? After, I think. Yeah, after. Yeah. It might have been a stepping stone role. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. All right. So a flyer on the wall for the trivia indi- indicates that Valentine's Day is Saturday, February the 14th. That would mean the previous day is Friday the 13th. What the hell, Joel? What kind of trivia is this? I thought that was good because we figured Jared Padalecki was in Friday the 13th and Jensen Eccles was in this. It's a nice little, little tie-in. That's fair. Okay. I'll give it to you. Uh, Jensen Ackles and his supernatural co-star Jared Padalecki both starred in remakes. We talked about this. Yeah, unfortunately. We already covered yeah. that. And uh, 2009, the Australian Classification Board released its report of things, which shows the most complained about titles of the year. <laughs> Jesus. Australia. Isn't there enough stuff trying to kill you that you got? Why do you have time to do this? <laughs> um, My Bloody Valentine was in the top five with a dozen complaints. Most of the complaints were about the gory violence, though the film carried its highest rating available to a non-pornographic film, R18+. In Australia, many people who wrote in wanted the film completely banned. I mean, if you are going to say a film can be so gory that it has to be rated to the point where almost no one should see it, this is a good candidate. Yes. Uh, Hold my beer. I mean, I'm sure there are worse, but in terms of like thinking about when I was watching this movie, I was like, this has got the level of gore that I always imagined as a small child. Every horror movie had, doesn't it? I mean, I, I initially, you know, saw Jared Paddle, uh, whatever his name is, Jensen in this one. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, girls, come on. You like supernatural. I mean, how bad could this be? Three minutes in I'm like that person has been ripped in half. You are oh, there, there, there's the bottom half of him. Yeah, there's that. Holy cap. Wow, this, oh, this guy doesn't have a chest cavity anymore. Exactly. I mean, I and it wasn't just like, oh, my God. It's like in the first one. Oh, their chest has been cut open. Oh, my God. And they never show it. This one is friggin' visceral. So. I was very impressed with the beginning of it as far as like how, how well done the gore was. I mean, it takes me out of a horror movie when it's just really bad special effects. Mm-hmm. Some the, of the CGI was a little obvious. Yeah, for sure. And some of the 3D effects were a little bit over the top. But. And that's I think that goes hand in hand. Because 2008 was like one of the heydays of that whole, oh, 3D everything type of thing. Yeah, for this sure. is one of the very first uh, slasher fix to be 3D, 3D-fied. Yeah. So they made a big deal out of it. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things where it you're going to wind up with either the 3D just kind of goes hand in hand with the kind of chintzy CGI. Like the, like while it was an ama- a great kill for a slasher fic, when um, Harry turns around and stabs the girl in the face with a shovel. Yeah. That was, like you said, that was exactly the type of kill that I was expecting to see in the horror films of the eighties, but wound up in this one. I mean, it was, that was a good kill, honestly, probably my favorite of the movie. No, my favorite was reds actually. Which one was red? Red was the guy that was uh, fighting him while while the dude was stuck in the cage. Oh, he, he yeah. got him because he was about to he was about to get him when he at the last minute put his foot up and then kicked the pickaxe back into his head. Yeah, I I always love any fight in a in a horror film where the the victim turns a tide for a second. Yeah, yeah, where it looks like they have a standing chance. It's always more interesting. Right. Uh, going on with the trivia, the first two characters killed on screen are named Jason and Michael. 
Oh, <gasps> an homage to uh, Jason Momoa and Mike. No, that's totally wrong. It's from Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween. And, and Michael Hutchins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, nah, not too soon. Um, a direct reference to the films is how they die. Trademark features of the characters. How how did they die? Well, the Michael Hutchins character was strangled to death. <laughs> In <laughs> the the. <laughs> you make me cry. Well, Michael Myers never technically died, but Jason dies repeatedly. Yeah. No, I think they're talking about, I bet you we could go back and find that those first two characters who died, died in a signature way that was a quality kill from their respective franchises. That's what I think they're going for. Mm. I wish we had more details. Right. Who were the first two kills? It couldn't be too difficult to find. I don't know. Go back and watch it. Eh. it Hold Hold on. Hold this. Pause the recording. I'm going to go. All right. Fix it in post. All right, we're back. Um, <laughs> wow, that was a totally worth it point. Turns uh, out it was strangulation. <laughs> who knew? Uh, in the original script, the main scene for Betsy Rue's character was written differently with a lot less nudity. As in, not all of it. Uh, she would wrap a sheet around herself as she exited the room and was covered with it the whole scene. But as the actress consistently failed to complete the scene without dropping the sheet, it was taken out by the request of the actress herself. <laughs> I'd a, just rather be naked. It's easier. Well, I mean, yeah. if she's a stripper or whatever, you know, or if she's ever been naked before, if public nudity is not a big deal to you, that probably is easier. She, yeah, she's like, it's pro- it's like reflex action. I just drop it. Um, <laughs> prob- sheet is confusing. Another one of the kills was the little person kill. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> you knew something bad was going to happen as soon as. Yeah, she- another bit much. Well, but I can well, say. Well, we had quality nudity in this one, which we did not have to even redeem the first one. True. I was going to say, one of the things I actually kind of liked about this movie was the fact that they they took some time to actually set up some tropes and break some tropes. And it was kind of interesting. Like, I mean, most movies, if you put a little person in them, they're not going to do any harm to them. Well, this one was like, well, fuck all that. Yeah, I'm going to stick an ice pick up her face. Yeah. And they kept some of the same they kept at least one of the, the signature kills in the original with the dryer, but she yeah. died before she was put in the dryer. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, I think that this definitely I, I'd say unquestionably takes a long series of strides from the original towards being a good movie. Whether or not I believe it got there, we'll, we'll get to that through the second half of this show as we're talking. Right. I is there more trivia, or are we done with it? Uh, we're no, done. we're done with the trivia. Was this was right. this the first viewing for any of us? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Same. Yes. I actually own it. You own it, of course you do. Uh, I bought it for like I don't know, like three bucks at Blockbuster or one of those places before they closed down. <laughs> I think there was a lot. I don't know. I'm trying to find the redeeming things about this movie. Uh, the there were quality kills. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original one thing we glossed over in the first half was that. The g- minor guy hates Valentines and will only kill you if you have a party for some reason. Kind of fucking stupid. In yeah. this one, at least the guy's initial motivation for killing everyone, he killed them all so he could have more air, was way more reasonable. Mm-hmm. And uh, they totally discarded the don't have a party or I'll murder you all thing, which was stupid. And, yeah. and it was, a, it was a definitely the right decision to discard that. Yeah. Yes. They complete, yeah. I mean, they completely nixed the entire. I mean, the, basically, the plot essentially was outside of the setting and the uh, the design of the main character. They went a different direction entirely. 
And, well, I, and they I, maintained the love triangle between Axel, Sarah, and TJ, although they named TJ Tom. And it was a bit more, there was a bit more involved. It wasn't mm-hmm. as, like, I think you guys had said the other one was just kind of cardboard and didn't really have any believability. This was at least a little bit more, you could buy into it. Yeah. Yes. And another trope that they, uh, that they that they subverted was the whole you know the throw throwing in the the token black guy and then never killing him. I kind of liked that. Yeah, I been, actually kind of liked his character. He was just sort of low key yeah. in general. Yeah, he was one of the few people that did survive actually. Yeah, and I, I liked his one line. He's like, "What were you doing at the mine?" He's like, "I was doing my job. I'm not the <laughs> one on trial here." Yeah, no. He's like, "Do you not see the badge?" <laughs> yeah, like, like you don't question me. <laughs> there was a lot more killing in this, and um. The, the hospital scene, I thought, was kind of effective. When the opening Harry, one? Yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. Harry first... Uh, um, it did a good job of setting the tone, for sure. Yeah. It, 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 he killed, like, what? Six or seven people? I mean, he killed, like, half the people in the hospital before he even left. <laughs> they gave a number, and it was much higher than six or seven. Yeah, he and killed, like, the whole And I wonder like, why the, the last hospital. people stayed around. Like, while he's hacking up other people, why are you just going to stand there and go, Oh, my God! <laughs> Oh my God, Becky, look at this. I hope he doesn't do that to me too. Oh my God, he's doing it to me. This is the worst weekend ever. (laughs) The sheet. I should have left while he was carving up those other four people. (laughs) That's a great premise for a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) I do kind of think that familiarity with the original has a lot to do with, uh, some of the things they set up in this, like if you've seen the original, you know, Axel is the killer. So you're going to have that in mind while watching this. And this one also plays with the, you're pretty sure it's not the guy from the beginning. Who is it behind the mask? And it was a little more um, interesting to try to guess in this one. Yeah. And like I said, I had watched, I watched this one first because, because of how it all just fell out. I mean, and I, watching it i was like thinking to myself yeah i could see why they would remake this i mean because there was kind of like you said pat it was a guess of a pretty good guess of where who and who was actually the killer because it seemed like as the whole first act of the act of the movie went on there was at least one more at least five or six people that they had introduced that wanted nothing to do with the mine or wanted nothing to do with you know, that you can see that they're selling the mine. Oh, this guy's mad about the mine being sold. Maybe it's him or she's doing this. And you actually were kind of confused by it and figured, trying <laughs> yeah. to figure it out. There's some motive set up. Like yeah. this person could do, could be the killer because X or Y. Right. And by the way, by the way, worst reflexes in the world award goes to Tim. When the old man comes across the bar around the corner, comes up to punch him while screaming at him the whole time. And he still gets punched. Oh no, he's going to punch me. I better do. <laughs> yeah. Like how much how much telegraphing do you need <laughs> not get punched in the face? I just got this letter in the mail that says that guy's gonna punch me in the face. <laughs> I should probably do something about that. Oh no, I just got punched in the face. <laughs> I thought it was junk mail. Um, well, there was a there was a thing in the eighties. There were two different kinds of killers and slashers. There was the the mass killer that was obviously the the killer. Like you know, Jason is Jason, Michael is Michael, and you don't necessarily need to know who's behind the mask that's who they are or there's the who done it which uh this definitely fell in that category and they played that up a lot in that. prom night at least the first one was the, the who done it yeah i mean those, those well. were the two main tropes that they had in the day with slasher films that that made them popular um the unstoppable killer or the we don't know who did it until the end yeah 
which um, Scream capitalized on that. If I remember correctly, I even think um, April Fool's Day did a good job of that also. Yeah, that one I think made some people go, well, that was neat. And some people go, fuck, I want my money back. Um, but one of the things I, I, I didn't care for with this um, was when you do finally figure out, and I, I assume we're not calling spoilers. Uh, on it's been show. literally 10 years. Yeah. Um, but when you find out that it is, <clears throat> um, oh, shit, I forgot his name. Jason. Tom. 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 <clears throat> when you find out it's him and they do the the kind of, uh, they, they go the, through the flashback to kind of fill in all the gaps of how he was able to do what he did and the stuff you didn't see, which that part was kind of neat. But I, for some reason, it really bothered me when he um, was chasing after them and they kind of did these little flashes of him in the, the suit. I thought it was kind of neat when he was knocking out the lights, but otherwise I was kind of like, I almost want to see him in the, the costume again you know okay so so we're going there now because you just keyed in on what flipped me from thumbs up to thumbs down on this movie uh the moment we were headed towards the final confrontation i realized whoever was realized revealed to be the killer would be unsatisfying and then they revealed that a scene they showed to the audience (laughs) was complete bullshit they showed us with the killer trapping him in a cage to give him an alibi. And then they're like, oh, that was just his hallucination. Fuck mm. you. Right. Yeah. We are not part of his psychosis. We shouldn't be seeing his psychosis. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that bothered me so much. It actually completely ruined the movie for me. That, that is, I, I 100% agree with you there. Like, yeah. I mean, the, and, and him bending the latch to lock himself back in the cage. Right. But, which I mean, is not what we saw. How the hell are you going to set up a mystery and then later go back and go, oh, well, one of your clues was total bullshit. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. what did he do with the suit? Because he had the full suit on when he was in there. So how did he hide it so that when they opened the cage, unless they're really shitty police officers. Or maybe he didn't kill him with the suit on. You know, right. We don't he know that. Because, he you know, I mean, saw this guy with a suit who was never there. He just straight up murdered Red is the implication. And there never was a suit. Well, but the, if well, in the, the flashback sequence when he's in the cage, he's wearing it. Yeah, he is. So if if that was his hallucination, then why would he still have it on without the mask? Yeah, that somehow makes it worse. Right? Yeah, and I was actually, up until I realized there were only two potential suspects, and uh, both of the resolutions would be pretty unsatisfying and unrealistic, I was actually trending towards thumbs up on this. And then we get to the ending, and it just does not stick the landing. Biffs it. Yeah. It, it really did. I mean, they they needed, if they were going to do the whole it's a psychosis thing. They need to watch Fight Club first. Right. There's, yeah, there's better examples. For yeah, sure. do do not show me something that is complete fabrication just to throw me off. Yeah, and like if you're going to do try to do something like that, you need to make it much more ambiguous what's going on. Don't show us someone threw him in here, bent this over, locked him up and killed him. And he's screaming the whole time. You know, it's like, no, like. Show him like maybe going into the tank, you know, getting shoved in, knocked out, and then next thing you know, the dude's dead, you know? Right. That's, yeah, that would have been fine, but it was such a good alibi that it was actually his official alibi as far as the police were concerned. Right. And, you know, and and if we just hear it from his mouth but don't actually see it, that's a completely different narrative than what. Absolutely. Well, and then when he gets his getaway, you know, he doesn't cut his arm off and leave it in, in the girl's hand when he runs off, you know, giggling into the night. 
Uh, but I'm 100% with you, Josh. That really pissed me off. I'm like, well, you just basically, you know, you showed me a scene that is that, that was all his own psychosis, and it just really pissed me off. Yeah, like if they would have cut that scene and just left all the other flashback stuff, those were a, a bit more, it was a lot more vague. Yeah, I would have called it a flawed, but overall pretty decent horror movie, except for the way they handled the ending. And did they really need to have the pregnancy thing? Yeah, they didn't. They, they, they did that. There was another one of those tropes where I... I feel like I don't know if they just abandoned it or if they just decided to, to break another trope because I kept expecting her murder was going to reveal that she was pregnant and cause a problem between the two of them. But they just never addressed it again. Well, I think the whole pregnancy thing is you get to a point where you have to suss out the motives of the remaining suspects and killing her so that the pregnancy never comes out is one of the things that's supposed to put you on to maybe Axel did it. But, you know, something that would have been maybe a, I almost kind of wonder if the pregnancy was false anyway. If she right. was trying if to she was already trying to pressure him to leave and mm. right. Like if she was yeah. baiting him, but then you would have had to have pointed that out somewhere, which they didn't. But if it had been Axel, I would have found it a huge strain of credibility that the guy in the suit could be in the back room, busting through the door, run all the way around the store to get Megan out of the window. And then kill her, disembowel her, write shit on the wall, and change into sheriff costume before Sarah can get out of the front of the store. True. But also, I, I, just had, I, I just had a big problem. I was like, I was like if they're going to try and make Axel the guy in the suit, I'm going to have to take serious issue with the fact that he's six inches taller in the suit. Fair. True. Like, I, I would have given them a pass on that, but, like, the whole grocery store scene made it very clear to me that either Axel was not the killer or the movie was complete bullshit. Right. It turned out Axel was not the killer, and, and the movie it was, was complete bullshit. That's the they twist. Both. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like the grocery store scene as a scene, but when you put it in the context of what they were trying to do, it didn't work. And would the movie have been better if the killer would have been just some random minor? Well, I think the movie would have been better if they had totally thrown those who had seen the original for a loop and made it so the killer was actually the same killer from 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. You're guessing which of the modern people it is. Nope. It's been the dude who they thought was dead this whole time. Right. And that would have been a great twist. What if they didn't introduce Axel and it would have been Axel? Like it would have been the original killer. Yeah. One of the, another thing, one issue that I do also have with the grocery store fight. What? They lock themselves in this room to hide from the killer. They're climbing out the window only after her friend is yanked out the window and chopped to death. Then she runs back to the door and hits the alarm that has been next to the door the entire time untriggered. If you're going to lock yourself in an office and try to escape from there, why would you not hit that alarm the second you walked in there? Yeah, at some point you're going to hit that alarm. Right. Well, obviously, right. I think she so. Was like the manager or whatever, wasn't she? I mean, yeah. Yeah. She, she would know about it for sure. Yeah, that was. That would be like standard operating procedure for any emergency. Oh, yeah. And if I'm, you Lock know what? yourself in there, ring the bell, you know? And if I'm being chased by a homicidal maniac with a pickaxe and I run into a room, lock it, I'm hitting every fucking switch I can find. You know, it's, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it does. One of these things is going to get some attention to somebody who's outside this place. Get, you're going to get pickaxed to death to the dulcet tones of Chuck Mangione. <laughs> I can think of no way better to go out. <laughs> You're like, this does not feel good. This does not feel good. It's not good. It's not good. It's killing me, but these tones. <laughs> but seriously, though, I mean, I would have preferred if it was just some faceless minor that they showed briefly in one of their original scenes. 
and they would have, you know, maybe played up that uh, Jensen was crazy and he was having some sort of hallucinations, but there really was somebody killing people, and the person killing them was neither of them. Right. It would have been. A, it would have been a good twist if, like, neither one of the main suspects was the killer. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That would have been a bit more um, satisfying. And, and he's he, just a guy that had a, a nervous breakdown because he almost got killed in a mining <laughs> thing, you know, and then you've got almost three cannibalized who are damaged by what happened. And, you know, uh, yeah, it would have been more interesting. Do you guys have a favorite kill from this one? Hmm. Hmm. Mine w- is still the shovel, even though it was kind of CGI. That was a pretty cool one. It did track my attention, but, uh, I, I hated to see Tom Atkins die cause he's a badass, but, his his death was kind of hard to watch because the idea of a pickaxe to the lower jaw just yeah, and then ooh. ripping the jaw off and bleeding to death from your jaw yeah, that was rough. That yeah. was yeah. tough. Kevin Ty's uh, Ben uh, Ben Foley, his death was kind of almost just obligatory. It's like as soon as the pickaxe went down on the floor, you knew how this was going to end. Oh yeah, but the fact that he's he's fighting and then he realizes he's he's just never going to win because he can't. I mean, he's not strong enough to hold out. And when he goes, oh, shit. And he's, he's drunk. Yeah. That's one of those things where, uh, I mean, you can, you can, it's believable um, in a way. <laughs> That's going to, we're going to put that on your uh, tombstone, Joel. <laughs> it's believable would, in a way. <laughs> I would, I would, I would go with red still. I think that was my favorite one. It was the one that got the biggest ooh out of me. Which one was that again? The one, uh, the one where, where he, um, where he was supposedly locked in the cage. That oh know, yeah, where he was fighting. Yeah, that's right. Where he's fighting him off. There was a good fight between the two of them, and I, I love the best part was just from him dropping the phone and them hearing a little bit of a clatter. They're all like, "Red's at it again," and I'm like, "At it again? What fight? <laughs> murderous pickaxe guy in the mines? Like, what, what the hell does Red do on his off days? Right. Well, I mean, how? Do they, what the I, hell do they know about Red? They're like, well, this two little sounds means Red's in a fight. Let's go help." Well, they knew that he beaten up Tom or tried to beat up Tom the day before. So they thought that's what was happening was my read on that. Mm. Oh, you know what? I didn't even catch that. Red's in a raping mood again. Well, <laughs> all right. Maybe I get, all right. My, my pick for kill is the only one that surprised me, which would be Frank, the trucker. It was not a particularly inventive kill, but was the only one I didn't see coming. Well, I mean, I, that one kind of bothered me. Cause I'm like, what, what is he just sitting in the cab of the truck waiting with the pickaxe raised in like this crouched position where he can't even swing it, but maybe, he manages to penetrate a skull anyway. I, that that one actually bothered me. Maybe that was kind of like a callback to that crazy old coot who was doing the. Remember he he uh, put the mannequin in the in the one room. He kept to, laughing so damn yeah. hard. <laughs> See, I thought that Ben's death was a callback to that because he w- was giggling a little bit when he had the shotgun. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I thought that uh, Frank's death. Like I get what you're saying, Pat. But I, the reason it's my pick is just because it was sort of unexpected. And I'm guessing the killer was just stalking Irene at that point. Mm. <laughs> Does not feel good. No, it doesn't feel real good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with Red. Because it, it was a big, it was, it was like one of those like WWE type surprise twist counter moves. And boom, oh, suddenly he's dead. I'm like, damn, that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I do have to say Red Red put up a good damn fight. Red's at it again. Grab the gear, boys. Red's at it again. He's mind fighting again. He's cornhole in the new guy. <laughs> uh, so we didn't get as much minor. Red. It's always not mind fighting and night digging. 
We did not get as much mine worker culture in this one, which kind of bummed me out. Not nearly as many A's or boots. That's true. We also did not get terrible American accents from clearly Canadian people. True. And there was not one amazing mustache in the entire movie. Oh. Oh, poor Hollis. Just a cheesy, patchy beard. Yeah, poor Hollis and then nail gun to the head. Oof, yeah. That was a rough one, too. Though, you know what? What a badass. He took, what, three nails to the head and still managed to get away? Just like Josh. (laughs) Yeah, mine are still in there. I'm good. (laughs) Hasn't affected me. I just won for best necromancer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Me peeing myself has nothing to do with that. (laughs) So I think we're at this point. Thumbs up, thumbs down on this one. So for original, thumbs up, thumbs down. Josh. Oh, holy shit. Thumbs down. Pat. We need to do the original one. We're all going to be thumbs down. No, we're not. Joel's going to give a thumbs. Yeah, Joel, thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. Of course. Oh, my God. You are. You're lost to me. Yeah. The new one. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, it's still thumbs down for me, but like they, they came so close to getting thumbs up. You just bobbled the ball. And yeah. End zone. Yeah. If they didn't have that scene in there, it would be 100% thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah, the flashback scene. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty much the point where it got ruined for everybody, I think. Yeah. But I, I, still, I still give it a thumbs up. I give it a thumbs Ooh. up also because they're, Twist. I mean, yeah. quality kills, a deep, better plot than the first one. You know, I so, like that they didn't stick with a lot of tropes. True. And it was just, it was, the the, the kills were fun enough and just, just gory enough and all that kind of stuff. To, I'll forgive that stupid little, you know, indiscretion because it was still just, it was better than I expected it to be. So I'll give it a thumbs up. Right. Thumbs, thumbs up. Yeah, I would prefer to delete out the ending or change it, but cool. So Joel, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are shifting gears really, really Hard. Yeah, we are going to be doing uh, The Iron Giant versus a new film that just dropped on Netflix not too long ago called Next Gen. Yeah, two movies about kids finding giant killer robots. Not killer. (laughs) (laughs) We're done with Octobu. Yeah, well, potentially killer. Um, Yeah, so if you have your thoughts on this year's crop of Octobu or Octobu movies. No, not more Octobu. (laughs) Uh, Let us know. Uh, Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, and head over to PodChaser.com and give us a review. Thank you. Now I want chocolate. What? What? How did you get? I mean, there's in, in the heart. Yeah. Oh. Now I want human hearts. Now I want a rat. I gotta do my laundry. Does it feel so good to do your laundry? (laughs) No, it doesn't feel very good. Alright, we're done. I like my peanut butter to be other other colors than brown.